Hey guys, your body is a war zone. Your immune defenses are just continuously fighting a battle and trying to one-up all the bacteria and viruses that try to invade your body. They think of your body as a great habitat to live and uh, get some nutrients, but your body doesn't want that, so it has a bunch of different mechanisms to fight against it. And that's what we'll be covering in this week's episode. Yeah, well, spot on there, man. And the crazy thing is you have more bacteria in your body than you have like actual normal cells anyway. So there's like a, a constant balance between, okay, are these bacteria going to be beneficial or are they going to just like cause a disease or something? Um, yeah, so we're going to talk today about immunology and we're lucky enough to be joined here by Natalie. How are you going, Natalie? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, awesome. Sweet. So Natalie's in our cohort as well and she has a PhD in immunology from the University of Adelaide, right? Yep. Yeah. And um, that was about like neonatal immunology, like that kind of stuff, yeah? And yeah. they immune responses in like preterm babies. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Do you yeah. remember much from that or was it like <laughs> another world? Um, I will say it was five years ago, yeah. so there were a lot of things that I've forgotten. But essentially it was, yeah, how they yeah. regulate their immune system because they're really susceptible to inflammatory diseases yeah. when they're born because yeah. they're sort of not fully formed yet, so yeah. they're born early. Um, and I basically looked at like genetic regulation of specific genes that are expressed during inflammation. Mm. And toll-like receptors. Toll-like receptors yeah. and, like, microRNA stuff. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It's nice to have someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. um, how are you going, Terrence? Yeah, I'm all right. Terrence also here. Yeah. struggling to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, getting pretty rough right now. But, um, yeah, we thought we'd go a little bit over, like, innate immune system, adaptive immune system, and a bit of inflammation as well. Um, yeah, but we'll put a link to Natalie's uh, thesis if you guys want to have a read. <laughs> it's like something crazy, like 300 pages. I had a quick look through it. It's very intense. So It's not very good. Congratulations. Please don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. Okay, I guess let's just start from a simple kind of perspective, right? So you have barriers in your body that tries to stop bad things going in, right? So bad bacterial viruses. Name me some barriers you have. Well... Um, you've got the desert kingdom of the skin. I got that. <laughs> I got that from you know that because because that because that. Yeah, yeah. So like your skin is just like it's um a bunch of dead cells on the top. Like that's like your stratified squamous yeah, epithelium, but, but it's keratinized, so it's all dead, and so it's like a desert, nothing around. You've got this acid layer on the top, and you've got like a bunch of defensin molecules around that just like poke open your bacteria is yeah. that what happens or? yeah yeah pretty, pretty much yeah. yeah yeah and so you've got that on the outside of your body and then on the inside as well you, those tubes within you, yourself you also have epithelial layers like mucosa of your gut tube or like your respiratory tract and there's special things inside there that can also get rid of bacteria like i know iga is an antibody that's associated with your mucosal immune system and things like panath cells um, in your small intestine where they can like sample pathogens and then create an immune response if something's going wrong there. Um, yeah, so that's the main thing. You just have these barriers to try to stop this kind of, um, these bad things coming in. Um, and Are then there any others? Or? There's, that's like the main, like the physical barriers. You have like these chemicals like you mentioned in your mucus, skin. Mucus. Like the mucociliary escalator yeah. in your respiratory tract. Yeah. Just like it prevents lower respiratory tract infections. Yeah, it's yeah. like when you get sick, you just cough up a bunch of mucusy stuff because it's like collections of dead bacteria and neutrophils that you're just getting rid of pretty much. Um, cool. And then, but if like, let's say I get like a graze on my leg, right? 
and so the barrier has been breached and something goes into my like dermis or some blood vessels then something else starts happening you start having some cells that can come and combat that as well anyone want to start talking about the type of cells that jumps in first well neutrophils are like the first one there yeah. um monocytes as well but like yeah so um monos- they extravasate from the blood yeah. right so um well first of all you have your lang hand cells right in your skin right so um they like detect the anti oh detect whatever pathogens there they like send out like chemokines to like recruit cells um from the blood also cytokines to induce like uh vasodilation and increase vascular permeability i think is cxcl8 one of the um yeah yeah, yeah, it's an important chemokine yeah Yeah. so you've got like sentinel cells if you think of it like war you've got things like monitoring what's going on they're like hang on that's not right this is something this is a foreign body let's activate and recruit the soldiers which are like your monocytes and your neutrophils which is exactly what you said making the blood vessels bigger so more of them can kind of flow in and that's why you get like and at the side of inflammation you get heat and it kind Mm. of expands in size and there's more like exudate around there so it's the swelling and yeah cool that's perfect yeah so that's a good segue into the like four signs of inflammation really so you get redness rubble yeah (laughs) heat calor yeah uh swelling tumor and then pain as well okay they all rhyme in latin so it's a bit easier to remember yeah so that's cool um yeah and that's a part of your innate immune response where your body's just like okay let's get a lot of cells there they can try to get rid of this before it starts getting dangerous right cool so and that's like a non-specific response yeah right? no non-specific and what do you mean by that like it's just oh no something's in there i don't know what like it's like soldiers right yeah. um it's just like if something crosses the barrier attack it yeah um as opposed to something we'll talk about later which is your adaptive response which is kind of like your secret agents like i know what you're like so I will specifically target you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, That's really good, man. Yeah, so these like non-specific cells, things like um, macrophages or neutrophils, they can seriously like eat up these bacteria or viruses. Um, what are some of the ways that that can happen? Like this type of phagocytosis? Well, it's a receptor mediated. Yeah. Like exactly. how it happens? Yeah, yeah. Go so ahead. like um, bind to the phagocyte receptor. So like that can be like CR1, like complement receptor. It can be like... I think a whole bunch of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, the it's like an invagination of the plasma membrane where it just like wraps around um, the bacteria and the receptor, um, and uh, that causes that forms what you call a phagosome, and then the phagosome eventually um, join fuses with the lysosome to form the phagolysosome. Um, well named. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> inside there, there's like anti like enzymes, antimicrobial enzymes. There's like not, uh, reactive oxygen species. Uh, nitric oxide and stuff like that those all contribute to like killing um the cell and uh after that you can like exocytose the dead stuff or you can even um if it's a antigen presenting cell you can uh present it on like an mhc um one or two molecule yeah what are the three antigen presenting cells or like three main ones there's like dendritic cells yeah and then macrophages yeah and then um b cells B cells, yeah, perfect. B cells, yeah. Um, cool. So, thanks for that, Terence. That was good. But I'll just go right before that. It's like, how did those cells even get there, right? So, from what I understand, is chemotaxis is one of them, and like release of cytokines, right? So, chemotaxis is a process where cells can kind of hone in on areas based on like chemical gradients of 
things in the. Do we? Do, does anyone know any specific yeah, like CXL, CXCL8? Yeah. Okay. I know. Um, this is more adaptive, but CCR7, CXCR7 or something. That's like T cells. It's for like the lymph nodes. Yeah, yeah. lymph nodes. Yeah, there's CXCR5, which is B cells or something it's like that. For the lymph nodes. Yeah, yeah lymph nodes yeah. as well. Do you have any memory? Do you know any of those? <laughs> no, it's just, I can't remember. It's a, it's a lot of random numbers yeah. and letters thrown together, but I think... It might be can... IL-8 as well. Yeah, so yeah. Can... yeah. That's the important same one. as yeah. CXCR8. That yeah. really oh, confused okay. me yeah, in yeah, undergrad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And MCP1, did you already say Ooh, that? Oh, I don't well? know yeah. about yeah. MCP1. Yeah. MCP1. Just a... Chemokine. It's a yeah, chemokine or chemotactic factor. Yeah, so okay. it's telling the cells to, hey, come here, yeah. we've got an infection happening. Yeah, I feel like if we generally understand, okay, these like chemokines can attract cells, I think we need to know specific numbers yeah, and stuff like that. I think that. so. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, so the cells like chemotaxis drags the cells there, right? And then, like you said before, the blood vessels dilate and they become more permeable because they're like endothelial cells begin to like contract, right? Um, and then contract, I don't even know how they contract, maybe like cytoskeleton moves or something like that. Um, that's just a guess. Um, but then what happens is that you start getting like these white blood cells slowly adhering to the endothelium, right? Um, and that happens between interactions between things like in- integrins and selectins. So like yeah. you have your weak interaction first. Mm-hmm. So that's a selectin on the vascular endothelium. And that's expression of selectins like driven by like the, cyto- the inflammatory cytokines released like TNF-alpha and stuff. Um, and then you have, oh, I think it's like Cyalo-Lewis-X or something on the neutrophil yeah. or monocyte. And like that binds to the selectin. That's a weak rolling interaction. And then when that binds, and then you have the ILA and CXL, CXLA as well, that like causes also the expression of um, integrin. And um, I think it's like, I think integrin's LFA1 or something. And also on the white blood cell, and also ICAM-1 on the endothelial cell. Or it's the other way around. It's yeah, ICAM-1 one of those. and um, LFA-1. And then there's also this thing like platelet endothelial cell adhesion molecule or something, right? And that helps the cell, once it's actually bound, to actually go through that basement membrane and then into the tissues where the infection is. Awesome. That's pretty much how cells get to a location and then get into the tissues. Um, okay, what happens then when... You have a, let's say, a dendritic cell or something like that. It phagocytoses a pathogen, like chops it up small, and then it can start presenting it, right? Um, what are the, some of the changes that happen to dendritic cells when they, after they phagocytose a pathogen? Yeah. yeah. Wait, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. cool. Do the processes get longer? Yeah, so it pretty much um, changes. When these um, antigen-presenting cells, they usually like, so first they are like more phagocytic because they're just munching up these things. When they start getting an antigen, they start to change their phenotype a little bit. So they'll start expressing like those chemotaxic receptors. More MHC as well. And MHC, yes. So they can start migrating towards lymph nodes, which are secondary like um, lymphatic organs um, where the adaptive immune response can be created. So they take these pathogens, turn them into like antigens, antibody generators, um, shout out to Matt and Mike's podcast. You guys should listen to that. It's good. Um, oh, uh, antibody generators. Okay. Yeah, yeah, antibody generators. And then they can go and show that off in the lymph nodes to like T and B cells. Cool. 
should we go to um, adaptive or is there, it's probably, there's probably more that we can talk about in innate? Yeah. I, yeah. Know, I guess you, you kind of touched on, like you were talking about the complement process yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you were talking about the um, migration of cells and yeah, extravasation yeah. into the um, like tissue. Yeah. Um, but I guess the other important thing is like how that happens and what yeah, little yeah. mediators are involved. Yeah, yeah, so cool. the optimization yeah, and yeah. all of, yeah. Do you guys want to talk about that? Uh, you you we can, can talk about it. Yeah, if you want to, yeah, go for it. <laughs> That's right. So there's three different ways to complement cacao. So complement first is a soluble bunch of proteins that can lead to the three different things, right? It can lead to like inflammation, more inflammation, or it can lead to MAC attack, which is pretty pretty cool thing where it can just like break into cells, cause um, lysis of cell membranes, and also um, opsonization where it pretty much jumps around um, to the cell membrane of cells to tag them pretty much to be phagocytosed and also acts as a bit of a chemotractant. So there's three ways complement cascade can be activated. There's the like classical pathway, right, which is activated by antibodies. antibodies. And then there's alternative pathway, which is activated by microbes. So that's more part of the adaptive. Innate. Or is innate. Innate, yeah. Because yeah. it just automatically happens on the... It automatically happens. Surface. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And then there's also the mannose binding lectin pathway, right? And that's mannose is some type of sugar that's found commonly. It's, would you say it's like a, a PAMP maybe? A PAMP. Yeah, it's like oh, a, the terminal residue on the yeah. cell wall carbohydrate. Pathogen-associated yeah. molecular patterns. So when those are recognized, um, then your body's like, okay, there's something wrong here that can cause a disease. Let's get rid of it. Um, so that's the complement thing. And then there's like the convertases that does their thing. Do we need it? Go into that. It's C3 and C5. Yeah, yeah. Say those are the main two ones. Well, C3, C3B is the end product for all three of the cascades. Alternative activates first, then manners, um the lectin pathway, then the classical. Um, C3B is the end product for all three. They get their sort of um, slightly different ways. Um, and C3B is an opsonin, so like it facilitates phagocytosis. Um, um, C5 is cleaved to form the membrane attack complex. Yeah. Um, that's C5B789, that causes direct lysis of the cell. Um, yeah, yeah, you mentioned anaphylatoxins, so yeah. like C3A, C5A, they like recruit um, like chemotaxis mm. inflammatory cells. Yeah, and all these complement proteins are made in the liver pretty much in response to these infections. They're a part of a group of acute phase, like things that are released by the liver. So you have complement released, you also have C-reactive protein released, which is also can act as an opsonin. Um, you have things that help with blood clotting, like fibrinogen, von Willebrand factor, factor eight. Um, you also have ferritin released. So it's like that's like the storage form of iron, and it helps to because bacteria uses iron a lot when they reproduce. So the more iron that's free, the more the bacteria can grow. So it helps to sequester the iron so they don't use it. So that's why there's these tests like the um, the erythrocyte sedimentation rate test yeah. and the CRP test. Yeah. So if those are elevated, then you have like either more fibrinogen in your body, which helps with clotting in the um, erythrocyte sedimentation test. And then CRP, if you have more CRP, then that's like a sign of an acute inflammatory response because the liver's started releasing those kind of things. And I'm pretty sure it does that in response to IL-1 or something. Six. IL-6, okay. Yeah. IL-6 is Might the be one. Mine's all probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably a bunch of them. Yeah, cool. So complement and all those things. Um, what else should we touch on with that? Um, we could talk about PAMPs and JAMPs. Yeah, go for so, it. Yeah, uh, Norm talked a bit about PAMPs. They're just like bits 
of the pathogen that are kind of recognizable. And so, like, what, what happens as a result? Um, so it's pretty much like, okay, if we buy into this, then we know it's pathogen. So secrete things that will activate more cells, like chemokines, cytokines. And also, um, if it's a cell like a, a natural killer cell, if they can see like a virally infected cell or something, then they can themselves release enzymes to kill that cell. Right. But that would be a damp, right? Yeah. Because well, damp is associated with like your, your own cells, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. damage associated. There's some yeah, kind of yeah. injury or insult within the body. So um, like your cells will secrete specific signals that will be able to re- be recognised. And then with the pathogen-associated molecular patterns, they are – so we were talking about TLRs mm. briefly before. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. they're pretty – like they're things like lipopolysaccharide, peptidoglycan on like gram-positive um, bacterial membranes – um, and they'll be recognised by the toll-like receptors, so the TORs. Mm. Um, and it's the interesting thing, we probably don't need to know this, yeah. but it kind of puts into context, they've kind of evolved together. So our pattern recognition receptors have evolved together with um, with the PAMPs so that we can kind of over time combat bacteria. Obviously that's not possible in cases where you've got like a really fulminant infection, but that's yeah. just like an interesting thing that helps me remember yeah. um, that the patterns are recognised. And then once you've got your TLRs activated, there's like a cascade of signalling. Um, so some of it is myD88 dependent, some of it is independent. And then basically what that means is it affects what kind of um, transcription factors and proteins your cell will produce in response to an infection. That's why you get different ones depending on whether you bind TLR2, which is more peptidoglycan or gram-positive bacteria versus TLR4, which is oh, gram-negative wow. bacteria. Um, and then, yeah, more specific kind of inflammatory mediators will be um, produced so guess, as a result of that, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, like, even though innate is non-specific, it also is a little bit specific? Or? Yeah, like, I guess in the terms of what genes are produced. Um, but, yeah, I think specificity... I don't, I'm not yeah. an expert on it, so I probably won't. I won't comment on it. <laughs> well, I, guess, I, I guess it is specific in the way that it will bind to, like, pathogens who have in the past, like you're saying, evolutionary speaking, have caused disease, whereas it won't really bind to um, commensals if they're kind of kept in check, right? Um, but not 100% sure on that, this is a guess. Um, but also what you're talking about with toll-like receptors, um, pretty sure that's the, like, NF-kappa-B transcription factor pathway as well, right? So um, toll-like receptors activate that after a lot of um, intracellular signaling, so NF-kappa B, kappa B, and then that's a transcription factor goes into the nucleus and activates the release of more uh, transcription and release of more cytokines and things like that, so activate more cells and things. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, awesome. Are DAMPs viruses and PAMPs bacteria? No. No? No, no. So so DAMP damp is like an endogenous molecule produced or released from... A damaged or die, dying dead cell, necrotic cell. Right. Whereas the PAMP is like directly from like a pathogen. Okay. Yeah. So like DAMPs could be from your own cells. Like like ATP, extracellular yeah, ATP okay. is like your mitochondria is damaged. Right. Um, you can have uric acid is from your own cells, and there's like another yeah of your membranes. Um, heaps of potassium. There's like a histone protein. Um, that gets really. I think it's like HM. High mobility group box, so HMGB1, which is like a histone protein, gets released from damaged nuclei. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So, <clears throat> on toll like receptors, there's also a few other innate type of receptors, right? So, we've got nod like receptors, and then they are intracellular. 
or they can be in endosomes. Oh, no, no, no that's no, toll-like no, receptor. That's toll-like. Sweet. Um, so toll-like receptors on the cytoplasm, or not in the cytoplasm, attached to the membrane facing outlets, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or in endosomes. Um, and then you have rig-like receptors. which Cytosol. Cytosol. Yeah, cool. So right. nod and rig, cytosol. And then toll-like receptor outside, as well as C-type leptin or something. Leptin. leptin CLRs. Yeah. Yeah. CLRs, yeah. On the cell surface. Yeah. So the ones on the cell surface would be bacteria and the ones on the inside would be viruses? You can get intracellular. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. but like, imagine, <laughs> keep looking. Yeah. imagine if you like phagocytose a bacteria though, and it can like potentially escape out of that like phagosome. Yeah. So yeah. that could also be picked up intracellularly as well. Yeah. Right. And so they just detect stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. PAMPs and DAMPs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, they're all yeah. PAMs for TLR, I think. Oh, okay. Right? I think so, yeah. 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 Cool. Um, yeah, so they also go and activate more of those chemokines and cytokines and things like that. Um, we've spoken a little bit about neutrophils, macrophages. Um, you want to talk about maybe natural killer cells? or Sure. Yeah. So um, natural killer cells, they go around and killing your virus-infected cells or your, like, tumoral cells. So, like, the way they do that is through a process called, like, I think it's called active inhibition, whereas um, they have like multiple signals coming at them. One of them's an inhibitory signal, one's an act- active, um, activating signal. The inhibitory signal is like your, what happens in like a normal, like homeostatic function. So like you have, I think, I believe it's a self-peptide bound to MHC1, or all nucleated cells in your body um, express M- MHC1. So you have your self-peptide bound to that and your natural killer cell, like the inhibitory um, receptor that uh, binds to that, sees that and says, oh, the cell's normal. The MHC1 is like inhibiting me. So I'll just move on. Whereas um, a virus-infected cell, the MHC1 expression decreases. So you no longer get that inhibition and um, it kills the same way as cytotoxic T lymphocytes. It's perforating granzymes. And that causes apoptosis. So, um, yeah. I don't think we need to know what the specific receptors, yeah. do we? Nah, no, okay. it should be fine. Yeah. Um, sorry, can I just go back and say yeah, that sure. um, toll-like receptors do recognise dance as well. Oh, yeah. Um, right. But it's more like fun- like fungal or host-derived stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah so, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 please. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Immunology is very complex. And I was saying to Sean yesterday, it's like, it's like a, a well that you just dig and you just keep digging and you can keep digging forever. It's just, you know, it's so, it goes so deep. So you just got to understand the main points. And I think we're doing well. So what yeah, about... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What about things like mast cells? Yeah, that's like your um, like major allergic reaction cells, right? Yeah, 100%. So like um, when they're activated, I guess, uh, they degranulate and then release a bunch of histamine mm. and like that... Um, means your vessels become really permeable and you get like, yeah, an allergic reaction. But how do they activate? How do mast cells activate? IgE, man. Yeah. IgE, yeah. yeah. right. Cool. Yeah. So that's kind of like a how like the adaptive system works with the innate system, I guess you could say. Or are mast cells then a part of the adaptive system if they respond to IgE? I'm sure they have more roles than that. but Because um, IgE is a antibody produced by like plasma cells, you could say, um, specific for, like, these kind of allergic reactions. Um, yeah, but let's talk a bit about histamine. So what would histamine do? So there's two histamine receptors. Does anyone know, like, what the different ones they do? So uh, I can go over it. It's like H1. H1 and H2, yeah. H1 and H2. Yeah. One causes 
vasodilation, yeah, and yeah. one causes bronchoconstriction. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. So it, that's why as well people with asthma have issues with, like, allergies, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, why? Because okay. if when histamine is released um, in high amounts, they can bind to, bind to the H1 histamine receptor, which causes bronchoconstriction. Oh, yeah. right, which is even worse. Exacerbates asthma right. symptoms, yeah. Okay. Um, whereas then the H2 receptors can, in, like, increases gastric acid production in yeah, your stomach. Cool. Yeah, and also I think it can also increase heart rate or something weird like that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's histamine for you. It's a part of, like, vasoactive amines. We can, yeah, vasodilation and increase leakiness of the um, things. So. I think degranulation also gets... Um, proteolytic enzymes so you yeah. can actually like kill cells and also um neutralize toxins mm. so i guess that's why when you take antihistamines um if you have like hay fever symptoms like a uh, kind of red nose uh sneezing things like that um antihistamines are good because it can kind of stop the dilation of those blood vessels um and like decrease the swelling and snottiness of your nose so yeah cool um what else should we talk about with innate stuff all these interferons probably yeah. yeah what are interferons okay interferons they um they induce an antiviral state in cells yeah. so like usually i think almost every cell can produce interferons and they like act on neighboring cells to um, prevent viral replication virion assembly degrade any um, nucleic acid that's already been made things like that prevents infection um and those are your type type 1 interferons, interferon A and beta. I think there's like heaps of A's and in, in one beta. And also you have um, interferon gamma. I think that's released a lot by plasmacytoid dendritic cells. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And pla- yeah, plasmacytoid dendritic cells are more specialized towards viral infections. Yeah. Whereas like your normal dendritic cells are more kind of generalized, more just located in tissues. Um, yeah, I always think interference is like interfere with viral replication. So that's an easy way of remembering it. Um, yeah, and then you also have things like defensins and lysozymes. And these are all just kind of um, enzyme type of things that can help to destroy bacteria, right? Um, cool. We've spoken about acute phase proteins and all of that. Yeah, anything else we should touch on here? Inflammasomes. Inflammasomes? Yeah. IL-1? Yep. Yeah, yep. So yeah. inflammasomes, they're like... You get your nod-like receptors. Um, I think it's like NLRP3 is the main one. Mm. Um, you get oligomerization of that. You have a caspase on there. And the caspase cleaves pro-IL-1. IL-1's um, made in like a inactive form because it's really destructive. So you don't want it like going around like infl- causing inflammation everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it's pro-IL-1 converted to IL-1. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, and caspases um, help. Like, it's also involved in, like, the apoptotic process yeah. as well, yeah. Like, we spoke about that, like, FAS, FAS ligand, yeah. FAS receptor, yeah. Um, awesome. I think that's pretty much the main thing. So, the main thing with the innate system is those first cells that come there, you've got the neutrophils, dendritic cells, um, macrophages and stuff. Um, and then you also have those things in the cytosol, like complement and all these proteolytic enzymes and all that. Um, yeah, and I guess now let's start about ha- talk about how the innate immune response can be activated. So, 
Does anyone want to take us away with that? Or should I just get kept going? Do you mean the adaptive? Adaptive, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, before yeah. you do that, though, yeah. like, do you just want to touch on, like, um, um, it'll come up a number yeah, of yeah, times, so. but just how inflammation resolves and why that's important? Oh, okay, yeah. I mean... You can go for it if you want <laughs> okay, to. Okay, well, you guys add more detail. Yeah, yeah. But um, so you, once, you know, you've addressed the problem of the infection, yeah, you've yeah. attacked the bacteria, there might be a lot of collateral damage. Yeah, so heaps yeah. of your own cells might die. You've still got all that swelling and all the reactive oxy- oxygen species maybe in tissue as well. So mm-hmm. you need to clean all of that stuff up. Um, and basically there are a number of different like mediators that might be involved. So IL-10 is an anti-inflammatory cytokine, mm-hmm. for example, um, I can't think of anything well, else at the moment, but like there's lots of, yeah, TGF yeah. beta, um, has, I think that has dual roles in oh, inflammation. Can't, can't tell you what they yeah, are, yeah. but I just remember it having like two yeah, different yeah. Yeah. properties. Like sometimes it can be pro-inflammatory and sometimes it can be anti-inflammatory. But anyway, so, um, and then that allows for repair. And sometimes if inflammation is chronic, then like you get, um, inappropriate healing and there's a lot of scarring. So, uh, fibrin deposits and then like the tissue doesn't really heal properly and there can be a loss of function um or you get complete repair Mm. so yeah no that's perfect as well when you have chronic inflammation it's more to do with macrophages and lymphocytes so you have lymphocytosis which is just increased number of lymphocytes and just a bunch more macrophages whereas acute inflammation is more um neutrophilia so increased number of neutrophils um yeah and also with the inflammation stuff um yeah, so the what I was going to say is there's two different types of macrophages, right? So there's the M1 macrophages that are activated like through the classical pathway, and they're the ones that can like engulf pathogens and cause like activate more of the immune cells to respond. M2 ones can actually help with tissue repair, so they also come in more after the inflammation to try to mop things up and try and make everything good, to try to prevent things like scarring and, and chronic inflammation. Yeah, no, that's so sweet. Thank you for that one. That was good. Um, cool. So should we just move on to the next bit now? Sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. We'll start with maybe dendritic cells. Cool. So you have a a pathogen in your body. The innate immune system hasn't been able to destroy it. It's still like lingering around. Um, your dendritic cells can then go and phagocytose it, and then it starts chopping it up inside and starts presenting it on its MHC molecules. Yeah. It just like spew it out. Like mm. chomp it up and spew it out, yeah. like, except a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it chops up little bits, uh, presents like little um, peptide segments. Um, yeah, and then they will start traveling towards lymph nodes. And lymph nodes is where like there's a lot of T cells and B cells. Does anyone know whereabouts in the lymph node the T cells are versus B cells? Yeah. yeah. So um, T cells are in the paracortex. Um, they're next to the follicles, but they're not like in the cortex mm. of paracortex. B cells you have they're in the lymphoid follicles in the cortex, and uh, if there's a germinal center, it's called a secondary lymphoid follicle. If not, it's a primary lymphoid follicle. Perfect. Yeah. And then they can also go to places like the spleen as well, yep. where T lymphocytes are peri are in periarterial or periarterial lymphoid sheets. Pals. Pals. Yeah. So pretty much just around the art- arterioles going into the spleen, um, they just like see okay where's see if they can bind to any antigens or anything in there whereas b cells are more located around that in follicles as well in follicles, yeah. yeah awesome um, um and then yeah if you just just an easy way to remember t and b cells although i'm sure everyone does like if you go back to the um hematology lecture you think mm-hmm. about where they come from so your b cells are from your bone marrow and your t cells originate from your thymus and they're in their naive state so they're b and t progenitor cells 
And then they're kind of present in these secondary lymphoid organs, so your lymph nodes, your spleen, I think in payers patches in your intestines as well, different tissues around the body essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's like mucosal-associated lymphoid tissue, yeah. So you, you have Malts. like – Yeah, exactly, malt. So in like your ileum, for example, um, there's like a lot in the, I think, submucosa, there's a lot of these follicles of just heaps of lymphocytes ready to sample antigens. Um, yeah. Well, I guess we can also talk about um, – before, so with the MHCs and the, um, like, say, for example, T-cell receptors, um, they're kind of randomly generated, right? Because there's a lot of different types of pathogens and things like viruses and bacteria mutates all the time. So when they develop, um, they pretty much join a lot of random things together and try to see, okay, let's hope this one will bind to something. And if it does, then that cell itself will begin to clone and form more cells. Um, so the like receptor binding like diversity is pretty insane. Um, yeah, like the literal definition of mess around and find out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like how does that happen on a genetic scale? Like, Is that with the like VDJ segments? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have like those segments that um, do they shuffle around or something? And Rearrange it. So like you have heaps of them, those segments in your genes and then like V V joins the D first. I think, I think it's, or is it D joining the, the, the J? The J. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it might be D J first, and then oh, yeah, yeah, DJ. yeah. I, I was just thinking like DJ. D, like D J comes first. Uh, the D J is important. It's a good way to remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. DJ first. No and party then, without the D J. Yeah, yeah, right. So nice. diversity <laughs> and the joining segments join, and then you've got the V, which is I think it's a variable segment. Yeah, variable, yeah. Join. And I'm pretty sure that's... There's a C region as well. Yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. like constant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is for T-cell receptors, right? Oh, okay. Is it different for B-cell receptors? Uh, well, that's antibodies, right? And it is a bit different, yeah. yeah. Before you go into it, do yeah, you want to talk about... You did touch on this, yeah. the MHC... Yeah. Like how, binding, so how it actually initiates all of this? Yeah, cool. So um, you have two main types of MHC molecules, right? So class one and class two. Um Class 1 molecules um, are responding to intracellular pathogens. So things that have infected the cell um, or has, like, escaped an endosome. And they also present to CD8 positive T cells, whereas MHC class 2 present to CD4 T cells, and they are from extracellular pathogens that have been phagocytosed. And, like, the class 1 pathway goes through. So there's, like, this proteasome in the cytosol that chops up the... Um, peptides or whatever, whatever the pathogen is, then it goes into the endoplasmic reticulum through TAP, um, this TAP thing, tapasin TAP, chucks it in there. And then when it's in the endoplasmic reticulum, it associates with a bunch of different MHC molecules until it finds one it can bind to. And then that goes out through a vesicle and gets expressed then on the end of the um, edge of the cell membrane. Um, whereas the MHC class 2 pathway, that's where there's phagocytosis, and then that kind of endosome fuses with a lysosomal type of thing, which chops it up again, and then that meets a vesicle that buds off the endoplasmic reticulum or the Golgi, one of those, and then when it meets, that's when the binding happens, and then it gets presented on the end of the cell. And I think with MHC class 1, which presents the CD, I think that's your three antigen-presenting cells, so there's... Is it the other, other way, way around? around. Okay. Yeah. So... MHC class 1 ha- is present in all nucleated cells, yeah. but MHC class 2 is dendritic cells, B cells, and macrophages, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
yeah, it can be induced on other cells and it can be on thymic yeah. or endothelial cells. Yeah, yes. awesome. So, yeah. And the CD, so CDA is cytotoxic T mm. cells, so they'll kill cells, and then mm. CD4 is your helpers. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Right, so that makes sense because you want to kill any cell if it's infected, right? Or is, does that not make Pretty sense? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if the cells, oh, yeah, if the cells infected, then you want to kill it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is like really bad in some cases. Like if you've got, you know, yeah. encephalitis, that's not good. Oh, if yeah. you've got Gosh. an infection and you're killing your brain cells, yeah, it's not good. yeah. yeah. Um, also, with like MHC class one and class two, the the MHC molecules themselves are a bit different. Um, someone's gonna have to fact check me on this, but I think MHC class one is associated with beta two microglobulin, um, which is located on chromosome 15 um, and it's then transcribed and then chucked uh, it's anchored to the cell membrane and then you have the alpha chain which kind of wraps over and associates with beta 2 microglobulin and that's where the peptide binding cleft is whereas MHE class 2 has an alpha and a beta two separate chains um, and which are both anchored to the plasma membrane and then with the peptide binding cleft up there as well. Um, yeah, so that's the two differences. So, And I also think the, the genes for the MHC, like the MHC locus is on chromosome 6 as well, um, where that's where all that kind of recombination happens. And it's it's insane the amount of diversity you can generate with the MHC molecules. Mm. Cool. So it binds to either a T cell or a B cell, and then the, T, the B cells will start like clonally activating and expanding and then start going into circulation and try to see where these cells are. And they'll be, they'll be dragged towards the place of infection through things like chemotaxis and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Tell me what what a mature form of B cells called. A mature form of B cells? Yeah, B cells. So like an antibody-releasing B cell. A plasma cell? Perfect, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. good, man. You get a memory B cell as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah memory yeah. B cells. They're, what are memory cells? So memory cells... Um, pretty easy to remember. It's just um, so when you get re-exposed to an antigen, uh, memory B cells they stay a long time. So you get your infection or in vaccination, they stick around for years, and then once you get re-exposed to the same antigen, um, then they get a pretty rapid and robust response, much quicker than the first the primary response. Yeah, right. And what's their res- like? What is their response? Um, Ig, IgG, they IgG straight away. They skip the IgM in, from the primary. Yeah. So they're producing those antibodies yeah. that tag the you know a pathogen and say, hey, this is this guy's back again. Let's get him. Yeah. So yeah, right. So what are the Ig um, antibodies? So different antibodies. Well, yeah. we've mentioned IgA is associated with mucosal immunity, yeah. and IgE is a lot with parasites and allergic type of reactions. Um, IgG is like one of the First ones you express with IgM. IgM is the first IGM's one. The first one yeah. yeah, and then it's associated with IgD and the IgD is only on the B cell receptor. Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, but um, then IgG does a lot of things like it can yeah. do opsonization and things like that. So it's cool because these antibodies can bind to these. So they're excreted from the plasma cells, right? And then they go around in the blood, and then a lot of them can bind and form these complexes with um, bacteria or pathogens. And then just makes it easier for other cells to come and just munch them up. So it kind of stops them what they're able to do. So it's pretty cool. Should we is go? IgM the big one? Yeah, it's like lots of antibodies. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it just like tries to bring all this stuff together. You're really um, good at agglutination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Um, so that's easier to eat, I guess. 
and uh, yeah, yeah, IgG is like the monomer. Mm. Yeah. Well, does anyone know um, maturation and selection of B lymphocytes or T lymphocytes? Is that like negative and positive selection? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. W- which one yeah. is that for? That is that B? That's T cells. That's T. <laughs> yeah. what, what's B? <clears throat> so, um, B cells. Um, is where there's like the different um, light heavy chains get chosen, right? Yeah. Um, so you get these like progenitor cells which commit to then becoming B cells. Um, and then the pro B cells start to rearrange the antibody genes through like the VDJ segments that we were talking about before. And then you have like the heavy chain which is chosen first, I think. Um, and then it pretty much like decides what light chain it's going to have. And then by the end of it, you have a mature B cell, which is both IgM and IgD positive. Yeah. Whereas with T cells, you have like, they're both like CD4 and CD8 positive as well. And then it becomes like selected to which one it's actually going to mature yeah. to. And if you see both actually in a mature cell, it's indicative of like cancer, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because that has been an error in how the T cells have been, like they haven't been kind of selected out or mm. they've just been like... Um, those like T cell precursors have been like neoplastically pro- proliferating, right? Before yeah. being like selected out. Do you guys remember the pan T cell marker? No. Oh, is it 17? No, CD3. Oh, no, CD3, yeah. Three. And then oh. B cells is CD19 and 20. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. So the CD3 is like a little thing that's also associated with the T cell receptor that you've, it's like supports it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I'm pretty sure for an MHC to bind properly, it has to bind both to the actual um, like T-cell receptor and the associated molecules as well to like help that um, thing. Like for it to be activated? Yeah, yeah. Like is the that right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. like you have CD28 on the T-cells yeah. and then you have B7.1 or B7.2. There's 0.7.1 and 2. I think they're like pretty <laughs> much the same. Yeah, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, um, so the positive, sele- the negative selection, sorry, is when it... Well, it could want it binds too strong to the MHC. Yeah. But if it binds kind of moderately or weakly, then it's okay. Yeah. And then negative selection. Yeah, so that's negative selection. And then positive selection is, yes, that's when it's actually, okay, this is stuff is insane. But if it binds moderately or weakly, that it's positively selected, but it's negatively selected if it has strong affinity. Mm. Yeah, so it just cuts them out. And then, yeah, those, right. yeah, yeah. And, and the purpose of that is, like... Prevent autoimmunity. Yeah. You also have T-reg cells in the periphery, which yeah. is, like, um, you also get regulation there. So, like, if you get... And that, like, prevents T-cells from overreacting and, yeah, stuff like that. Cool. <clears throat> what else should we talk about? Energy. That was the word I was looking energy. for. Energy. Oh. Energy and stuff as well. It's just, like, inactivation if oh. there's no stimulatory response. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. energy. So if you don't have the CD3? If you, the CD, uh, B7. B7. Oh, because that yeah. binds to the... CD28. Oh, okay. CD3 is the pen CD. Okay, ignore yeah. CD3. Okay. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, I think Natalie is a very busy person, and I'm, uh, we appreciate you helping us today. Yeah. Okay, we're um, going we're gonna to have to name this episode Immunology with Dr. Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you have like a cool story or a fun fact? Or... <laughs> Sorry, oh. this, like, I totally didn't plan this. Yeah, so yeah. I sort That's of right. put you on the spot. A cool story from my PhD. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Or anything it, in general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a hard slog. I yeah. kind of wish that 
I'd done it when I was a bit older because then you kind of know what you're in for and you've got like something that you're really, really passionate about. I was kind of really interested in immunology in one way, but still a little bit confused about what I wanted to do. Um, and I did like a combination lab clinical based one. So I got a lot of experience in different areas, but goodness, it was like so political. It's more political than I thought. And it was also just like a lot of work because I had to recruit all of my patients myself and I had like 200 in the end, but then, so I'd be on call when a woman delivered and she would, um, like I'd have to go collect placenta and cord blood. And sometimes that was like, like three in the morning, rarely, thank God. But then I'd have that and then I'd culture the cells and then I'd run a million PCRs and it was just like, it was a lot of work. And I think if you're further on in your career, particularly if you're a clinician, you get a lot more out of it and you're probably, you know, you're more motivated the whole time, I think. Although, you know, I guess PhDs are hard for anyone. Um, but you also got the edge of like, you know, they're your patients so you can recruit them, you know, their histories and that kind of thing within the bounds of ethics, of course. But, um, yeah, I guess that's what I will say about doing a PhD. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Yes. Well, what made you decide to start medicine now, though? Um, I, I think it's always something that I came back to. Like, um, I've always really enjoyed clinical work. Um, I worked in, you know, I worked in psychiatry, um, and a whole bunch of other disciplines as well. And the thing that was like common throughout was that I really enjoyed sort of working with people, talking to people, getting to know them, really interested in how, you know, the consultants worked out what was going on and how you, you know, write up a management plan and, you know, social determinants of health. So it was a lot broader than what I'd been exposed to as a researcher. So you could see your research in action, I guess, in some cases, not always. A lot of bad research out there. Um, so, yeah, and I think, you know, I when I was younger, I just, I couldn't, I wasn't in a position to do it. So I just like doubted myself heaps and then just didn't kind of, um, yeah, put the effort in. But finally, I was just like, I've had enough. Like, I'm going to try properly. I can afford it. I can do it. And now I'm here. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, congratulations and Thank welcome you. to Perth. Yeah. This is the, the greatest city in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> how, does, how does Perth compare to Adelaide, though? Yeah. Uh, relatively similar. Like, I think um, the opening hours of everything have been a big adjustment for me. Your beaches are much nicer. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, admittedly, I haven't really explored Perth much, yeah, cool. but yeah. Is everything I've, open later in Adelaide? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. More of a Surprisingly, <laughs> it didn't used to be that way, but yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. Well, yeah. thanks a lot for joining us. We've yeah. learned a lot from your wisdom. <laughs> yeah. I've learned a lot from you yeah, guys. No. <laughs> yeah, no, like I said, immunology is one of those tough ones. You just got to kind of grind it out and under, try to understand the basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, awesome. Thanks Thank for you for joining me. us. Cheers. Yeah.